Welcome to the Millennial Falcon, a pop culture podcast by three geeky millennials. I'm Willoughby Dobbs, a filmmaker in the D.C. area, and with me, as always, are my two co-hosts. I'm Hui Chen Bui, a writer at Slash Film and pop culture journalist in D.C. And I am Anya Crittenden, a writer at Gay Star News. Alright, everyone, today we're going back to the old days of yore. The days of high school when summer happened, but you still had summer homework. I hate it. Do you remember those days? I hated it. Well, I didn't want to do it. This week, we are taking that idea, but we're having a little bit more fun with it. Yeah! <laughs> we decided this week to give each other assignments to watch. Things that our co-hosts have never seen before, and we're going to talk about them today. Um, and say why we picked them, and just explore some new media that we want more people to watch. Yeah, so instead of a little summer reading, we're doing a little summer watching. Exactly. And before we dive in to our episode, we have an ad from our sponsors. The Millennial Falcon is brought to you by The Concept of Time. Time from the makers of space. All right, that was a great ad, and I'm excited that we were sponsored by such an abstract concept. Time is a flat circle, guys. <laughs> so, uh, let's dive in. Um, why don't we start off with, actually, I'm going to start off, let's start off with Anya's topic, because this is something that she's been trying to get me specifically to watch for a while. Anya, what did you assign us for this? So, I assigned episode? my two wonderful co-hosts. Uh, Over the Garden Wall, which is an American animated miniseries. It aired on Cartoon Network in 2014. It's created by Patrick McHale, and it's based on an animated short film he did. He expanded it into 10 episodes. Um, And it's about these two half-brothers, Greg and Wirt, and they are traveling across this strange, enchanted forest to find their way home. And they encounter a lot of really odd things on the way back home. Um, I first watched it, I think, in 2015 when someone recommended it to me, and ever since then, I've watched it every Halloween because it's a very fall Halloween miniseries, um, and I'm just... I was blown away by it when I first watched it. Um, I quote it. I have merch from it now. I'm like, this miniseries is... I love it so much, and I just need more and more people to watch it. Um Willoughby, I know you had watched it before this assignment. Yes. After I raved about it. Yes. Um, so what are your thoughts on it in general? I really liked it. I liked all the twists and turns it took. I was not expecting it to go where it did and to reveal what it was really about. And I really found it very, very fun. And I love the fall and, like, the fall equinox and all the harvesting and stuff and like that. And just, like... The whole aesthetic of fall was great. And we don't really have a lot of things that are, like, fall-centric that it aren't just straight-up Halloween. Like, it's like a, it's it obviously takes place, like, around Halloween, and there's, like, a lot of Halloween, um, like, stuff. But it's also more about just, like, this spooky, like, eeriness of, like, autumn. Yeah. Yeah, I love it. And HT, I was really eager for you to watch it because you're my, like, fellow animation buddy. And... You know, it's just very unique, and I knew it would be something that you would really like. So, don't let me down. What are your thoughts on Over the Garden Wall? I really enjoyed it. So, I knew when you uh, recommended it to me that it would be, you know, animated, and it had a fairy tale sort of bent. I remember you telling me, but I didn't think I expected 
it to be quite so magical realism, which yeah. I really enjoyed. And I was blown away by how whimsical and how weird and how beautiful it was, really, even though the animation style is very much in like the modern ca- Cartoon Network style and that, that everything is a little more blocky and kind of cartoonish. But I will say like the background animation is really lovingly and beautifully at rendered, uh, even as the characters are just kind of more like blocky as i said before but i i definitely like the magical realism elements a lot which uh basically popped up in you know the talking animals and how everything was very bizarre and strange people kind of just took it in stride and that's kind of like the definition of magical realism where everything seems normal but is in fact a little stranger than you expect and um it had also kind of uh the vibes of a Miyazaki film especially yes. I had definitely felt like the parallels to Spirited Away I think even the uh the soundtrack to it definitely was very similar to Joe Hisaishi's soundtrack, soundtrack is for gorgeous yes it's so beautiful and it that at least the opening theme or the ending theme was extremely similar to Joe Hisaishi's uh score for Spirited Away and especially like the ending theme for Spirited Away too and so much so that I thought it might have been even an homage to it I was like this is too similar and the story is just so similar in that it might just be kind of like paying homage to Spirited Away and Miyazaki and I could definitely see that fact but I really liked it um I definitely uh did not ex- yeah I didn't expect it to be like quite as weird as as it was but I like that like it was just like two brothers who ended up uh, inexplicably stuck in this fairy tale sort of forest this wooded area that they they encounter weirder and weirder things and I like that there's like no real explanation for it other than the fact that like you know at the end they kind of do explain it away but then you don't really get a true just like. Uh, you know, exposition run rundown of what actually happened. Exactly. And I like that about that. Exactly. I remember when I first watched it, like the first couple episodes, I was like, oh, this is like really cute. Um, and, and I was like, this is really funny. And it has a great cast. Cause like the brothers uh, work, the older one is played by Elijah Wood and the younger one, Greg is played by Colin Dean and other cast members include like Christopher Lloyd and John Cleese and Tim Curry. So it's like a really fun cast. And I was like, Oh, this is really funny. And I, I think Greg is adorable. And I quote him all the time to my friends. I'm always just like, that's a rock fact. And like (laughs) when he was like candy camouflage. Um, And then we got to the episode. I think it was the second one. It was immediately, it was like the one with all the pumpkin people. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. And I watched it, and I was like, oh, this is, like, cute and fun. And then at the end, when you realize, like, what that place really is, Mm -hmm. and how they're, like, telling Greg and Wirt, like, you don't belong here yet, or, like, they wanted to take him, but then it's, like, it's not your time. And I realized, like, oh, it's, like, purgatory. Mm -hmm. Like, it's weird afterlife. And then that made me realize, I was like, oh, this show is going to be, like, way weirder and, like, way more interesting and, like, say more than I ever thought it would. I thought it was going to be some, like, quirky halloween miniseries and then it like completely blew me away with by how much it really was about Mm -hmm. so yeah definitely and um i didn't know that it was based off a short film but is the short film like available to watch online or is um it's called tomb of the unknown i actually haven't watched it um i really want to and i might be available online i'm not a hundred percent sure um but that's what it's called. So we should all go look for it and we find it because I do want to watch it. Yeah. Um, oh, oh, sorry. My phone went off. 
<laughs> I will say um, it won the Emmy Award for Outstanding Animated Program in 2015. Nice. <clears throat> so take all of our recs and the Emmy Award for how good this series is, because it really is that say- good. I would say maybe take our our, our word for it because yeah. sometimes the Emmys are not the Emmys great. are a little, but they this time they right. got it right. They, they got it. Yeah, right. they got it right. But like eh, sometimes they they yes. don't. Yeah, they don't. Um, so it's ten episodes. They're only ten minutes long, so it's like the length of a movie. Um, and it's all available on Hulu. Um, and watch it any time of the year. But it really is something special when you watch it around fall mm-hmm. because you get that whole vibe. Yeah, I could see it, especially since it's set in yeah. this sort of Halloween esque. Uh, atmosphere. It's, yeah. It's a perfect fall watch. It really is, yeah. It reminds me of, like, Hocus Pocus in that way where, like, it just, like, unabashedly embraces, like, that time of year mm-hmm. and just, like, dives right in. So. Yeah, I like it. I'm really glad you guys enjoyed it so much. I love this miniseries. And you rewatch it every year, of course. Every year. <laughs> so, one thing I actually heard is that, oh, the creator's name, What what is his name again? Patrick McHale. Patrick McHale was actually working on the Pinocchio feature film with Guillermo del Toro before that kind of fell by the wayside. But I would be excited to see more of his work because he has a really great creative mind and definitely knows how to use this medium of animation especially and like fairy tale as well and fantasy. Also, uh, what a perfect casting choice for Elijah Wood who is also ethereal and not of this plane. (laughs) Yeah, no, I completely agree. The casting is great. Mikhail is great. And I think he was just announced to be co-writing Pinocchio, like, last year. So I think it's still happening. Oh, okay. Well, Del Toro did just get, like, a whole, basically, production wing to do whatever his pet projects he wanted to do. So after Someone Shape of Water. Someone got a blank check for winning the Oscar. Yeah, he did. Yeah, so I'm I'm hoping that it still happens because it was just announced. It was announced at the beginning of last year, so it's been a while. But fingers crossed that it's still happening because I agree with you, HG. I would love to see more of what Patrick McHale could do and like. Yeah, and combined his, like, with combined with Guillermo del Toro, that sounds like a perfect team. Agreed. Agreed. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was my assignment. I'm glad everyone. We should grade our assignments. <laughs> Grade our reports. <laughs> yeah, um, I'm obviously going to give this the, this miniseries like an A plus. Like mm-hmm. it is, it is my vote. Ht, what is your grade? I also give it an A. Willoughby, an A, of course. All right. Um, who wants to go next? I'll go next. So my assignment for you two was the host. The 2006 Korean movie, not the 2013 young adult uh, <laughs> sci-fi film. Sorry, oh, damn, Ronan. I watched the wrong one. Oh, no, yeah. guys. Oops. So, the dog ate my homework. <laughs> <laughs> so the host is directed by Bong Joon-ho, who's pe- probably best known now for directing Snowpiercer and Okja. And it's a great monster film about a, um, a family of sort of middle-class Koreans who are caught in this giant battle of, for, uh, against this monster that has emerged from South Korea's Han River after years of American military personnel dumping chemicals into the river. And this monster just emerges and starts eating people and kidnaps the youngest daughter of this middle-class family and one of which, which is uh, sort of like this 
deadbeat dad, which is a common sort of theme in a lot of Korean films. And uh, they all band together to save her. It stars Kang Ho-sung, uh, Bae Duna of Sense8 fame, and Go Ah-sung, who also starred in Snowpiercer. So, uh, what did you guys think of The Host? I really liked it. I liked it so much. I had a feeling I would because I love Snowpiercer. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't seen Oksha yet, but now I like need to move that on my priority list. Um, but I, yeah, I really loved it. I think what really struck me about it is the way it balances tragicomedy so well. Mm-hmm. Like, there's that scene where the family is all like the memorial, where there's the picture of the daughter when they believe that she's dead and they don't know that she's still alive yet, and they're like falling all over each other and like screaming at each other, and it's like it's tragic and they're in grief but it's like weirdly funny in a way because it's like this really over the top absurd like scene or when they're running away from the facility and like the music the music in this movie is so good Mm -hmm. and it's that like ridiculous comedic music as they're like jumping into the van so I like that it like balanced so well like real genuine emotions there are some scenes that really got me choked up um, with this like just absurd like human ridiculousness like the way they respond to a situation like this which is very realistic i feel mm-hmm. um so i really loved it 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 got me right in the heart hd i was like i was writing my review on letterbox and i was like well besides making me really really sad oh i'm glad you liked it anya i, <laughs> I was did. actually unsure how you guys would react to this because this is a monster movie unlike what we see a lot in american cinemas so it First of all, it shows the monster right away. It doesn't have the whole, like, uh, keep it and, and sort of keep it away from the screen until it has a final moment of revelation. And it's the, right. it it's wasn't the like Jaws. unknowns. Yes, yeah, exact opposite of Jaws. You see it, like, up close and personal. And it, the effects may have aged a bit since 2006, but it still has that really horrifying effect. And it, ha- But, like, the plot itself is pretty thin. It's a very simple premise. It's just mostly about the family. They're the real beating heart of this movie. And I like how they really interact with each other and how some of their interactions almost verge on slapstick sometimes. Yes. But it's not afraid to go either in the extreme comedy or the extreme, like, tragedy and dramatic moments. And that is, like, it's an amazing balance. It's true. And, uh, yeah, it's. I wanted to know also your thoughts, Willoughby, because you've seen quite a few monster movies yourself. I guess I have. Um, <laughs> I really I really liked it. I thought it was... I really liked that it wasn't just, like... Um, it was... Set, I, I am glad that it was, like, grounded in, like, the, like the cast of characters that it was grounded in, because if it was just, like, all chaos the entire time, it would have been a little bit less... It would have been boring. Mm-hmm. And I really liked that it was, like, oh, we're... Like, this is about this family, and, like there's a lot of personal stakes here and the stakes are so high even though like really it's just like one monster and you know they're just trying to defeat it and i really liked that the whole family came together at the end to defeat the monster it was so good and everyone had a part to play and i liked that i liked the different uh the different characters within the family like the deadbeat dad like you said and then also like the brother who went to college and then the sister who is like a bronze medalist in archery and the dad is just like you know doing his best trying to like uh in his with his like food stand and like the whole thing is just very like you know you feel for this family because of the daughter that was taken and then um they're just like trying to they're they're like a little they they seem like a little estranged and like this is bringing them together 
and it just it uh it was really well done and i really liked you know i think the i think the the best parts of the movie were when they were filming on the like in the sewers and like along the han river and just like they really used the han river and the bridges that are over it and the sewers underneath it as like like great set pieces and great settings like you could film so much there and it looks so cool and looks so interesting and like i hadn't really seen that before and i was really excited to watch it and i really glad i did it was uh, really fun yeah yeah i agree with willoughby i feel like the family at the beating heart is really good one of my favorite favorite scenes is when the father is talking to his two siblings or his two children about gongdu who is the deadbeat dad who i love that character it's just he's such a honey and he's like talking to the his other kids about like you know like giving him a break and like how he wasn't there for him as a father when gongdu was growing up and like how this has affected him and that idea of like owning up to your mistakes and growing and being a better person and showing people compassion and just like that whole goodness of like being there for each other and that like really struck me um and i also wanted to say that this movie has like the best sad but heartwarming ending Mm -hmm. it's very bittersweet oh that ending like yeah you can really feel when I, we won't go into spoiler territory here, but when you can really feel the losses and like the 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 stakes when they're there, yes. As opposed to in a lot of other monster movies uh, that will go unnamed, they kind of people drop like flies, and you don't really feel for them other than like a slight like pang. But other, even if even that, but here well, the, the characterizations aren't great. Like yeah. if you have the main characters and they're just kind of one note. Mm-hmm. Whereas with this family, it's very they're very complicated characters, and I really like that. Yeah, they're not perfect in any way, and the drama really hinges around them and their relationships. Like especially one of my favorite parts at the beginning of the film when the monster first emerges and everyone is running and like in a panic and stuff. The drama isn't around like the fact that the monster is killing people, but the when uh, the father, the deadbeat dad, uh, falls and drops the hand of his daughter and then like grabs the hand again and realizes he had grabbed the wrong hand. Like that's the moment of horror, and it's oh, yeah. amazly done. Exactly. I'm it really emotional is. again. <laughs> this movie, I, yeah, this movie, like, it got me, man. Mm-hmm. It was emotional. I also want to say I appreciate that this entire movie's fault. It was, like, some dumb white male American. Mm-hmm. I yeah, say. there's a great U.S. military and, like, uh, in, like exterior force, uh, like, interference, like, satire metaphor well, in there fun fact it's actually based off of real events the not the oh. monster itself but the dumping of the formaldehyde right. like, into the han river that makes sense mm-hmm. yeah it's very it's very very much reminds me of like like when mike was mike when mike Zillingle was on the show and he talked about how like the original godzilla films were about like the japanese response to the american atomic bomb mm-hmm. uh and like how it's like oh this is like the this like uh, idea of like well what if these chemicals created a monster from like one of the fish that was in there mm-hmm. exactly and it's like it's funny because there's not like a lot of real metaphor in this one either as much as like there is in godzilla it's just like this happened the military were american military were, baked, were dumping chemicals into yeah. the river and like what would happen if there was a monster but like you yeah. don't need a metaphor so much in this one it's just like really based around the stakes and the action and this really this family who gets caught up in it and that's what makes it so great is that the stakes are both so infinitesimally small and so large because of that yes agreed all right so 
do you guys want to give a rating, uh, a grade to a host? I will give. I also give it an A because I believe the host is one of the best monster movies of the 21st century. I think I'm gonna give it. I'm gonna give it an A minus. Okay. Ooh. But still an A. <laughs> Round up. Right, Willoughby. Willoughby. Oh yeah, I will give it an A. Because I really enjoyed it. Yay! All right, Willoughby, our final assignment. What did you assign us? So, I assigned you, both of them, both of you guys, Planet of the Apes, 1968, instead of 2001, or the new, the recent trilogy, because we don't have time for to watch the whole trilogy. <laughs> so, I... Uh, I really like the Planet of the Apes series. You may have heard me talk about it, like, last year when the the third movie came out. Um, Mike was on the show then, too, and we talked about how much the great, the, the first se- the first series of movies was, were great, and how the second series of movies were great, and we don't talk about the Tim Burton one. I was also um, on that episode and was very confused, but yeah. I was along <laughs> for the ride. Right. So, um, Planet of the Apes in 1968 has a very famous ending, and so... I was really interested to see what you guys would think about the rest of the movie. Like, everything before the very final scene. Because it's very much like, there's like probably two iconic moments in the movie that everybody knows about. And there's a lot of other parts of the movie that isn't really t- that, that aren't really talked about unless you like dive deep into think pieces and stuff. Um, and so just for like a little bit of backstory for people who may not know, basically Charles Charlton Heston, you know, lands on a planet, or so he thinks, um, of apes, and humans are subservient and and voiceless, and he is captured. He's an astronaut, along with two of his buddies are astronauts, and they go through a wormhole, and they come out the other end on a planet, and uh, they, uh, yeah, they stumble into this planet of apes, and basically uh, seeing the sociological structure going on there, and, and like how humans are you know, like, just pets and stuff in, in zoos, and and it's very much like the opposite of what our world is like, um, until you find out at the end, which, I mean, honestly, no spoilers, it was Earth the entire time. Just 3,000 years in the future. Um, so, what did you guys think of Planet of the Apes? HT, I know you've seen the, the newer trilogy, but um, Anya, you haven't seen any of the movies, is that correct? I've seen the first two. Oh, oh, in the Rise, new trilogy, Rise and uh, War, Dawn. Dawn, Rise and Dawn. Oh. I have not seen War yet. Okay, well, you should. Um, I will. But uh, okay, so uh, Anya, what did you think of it? Um, I really liked it. Yeah, I really liked it. I have, I have a lot of thoughts. Um, yeah. <laughs> first things first. I wish I didn't know the ending. Right. I really wish I didn't know because I feel like if you don't know the ending somehow. You've right. somehow been unspoiled by it. I feel like that ending would still really hold. Because, like, they do such a good job of, like, setting it up as, like, a different planet. Yeah. Throughout the movie. That I feel once they realize at the very end that it's Earth, like, it would still be, like, a shock. And so I wish I didn't. Because, like, it takes away a little bit from the beginning where they're, like, insisting that it's a different planet. Right, right, right. And I know that it's not. So, like, right. I well, wish they it don't know it's not. I know, but I wish I didn't know. <laughs> yeah. But, like If only you can saying, go back to time travel to 1968. <laughs> if only. 
But like you were saying, there's so much more in this movie that I didn't realize. Like, all I really knew about it was that, like, it's actually Earth in the future and apes have taken over. Yeah. And, like, that's pretty much all I knew. Um, And so I really liked all the rest of it. So there are two kind of elements that I really loved in this film. I loved how 60s it was. Uh Um, My dad really grew me up on, like, 60s movies. Um, But I was always more of, like, a... Steve McQueen, Charles Bronson, James Coburn kind of girl. I loved all their movies, like Charles Bronson, Seven really? and The Great Escape. Yeah. Oh. And The Great Escape, my dad really raised me on them. I love James Coburn. And I'd never seen Charles and Heston in anything that I really? can think of. I'm trying to remember if I've seen... I don't, I don't know. Did you ever see uh, his version of I Am Legend? I think it was called The no. Omega Man. Mm-mm. Anyway. Yeah, so I think this might have been my first Charles and Heston, and he was really fun. But I just, I love it. Feels very 60s. I love the, like, jarring camera work. Yeah. That's Where, really like, fun. Like, the zoom in on him going, <laughs> Yeah, that, that was that hilarious. <laughs> Which I love. I think it's great. Um, and so I love, like, that element. Just, like, how of the time it feels. But, like, yeah. how it still really holds up, too. Yeah. And then I loved, like, plot-wise, I had no idea it was about this whole, like, this trial and this, like, debate of, like, religion and science and, like, a missing link and, like, superiority of species and, like, this very interesting conversation around that. I had no idea. Yeah, I thought you'd really get a kick out of that. I did. Yeah, I was like, this is super cool. Like, it was, it when it became more than just about, like, trying to like escape, escape the apes. And, like, yeah. yeah, it was like there was this whole, like, scientific element that I thought was really neat. Um, and the Rod Sterling screenplay. So, how do you not love anything written? It, it went through rewrites after he wrote the screenplay, but I'm like, how do you not love anything Rod Sterling writes? The only thing that was really kept like intact from his original screenplay was the ending. Really? Oh. Yeah. I would be interested in reading his original screenplay. Same. Because yeah. the episode does, I mean the movie, the movie does play out sort of like an extended Twilight Zone episode. It does. Oh, yeah, totally. Uh, and um, I'll, I'll give my thoughts now too. So yes. I, it it feels like a Twilight Zone episode in that it feels sort of like a B movie, almost exploitation movie at some points. But then it also has these really beautiful, like sweeping shots that almost feel like an epic film in a way. So it has like mm-hmm. both of these kind of things going for it in that it has these B movie concepts and this really beautiful camera work and also this high concept premise that you wouldn't really see in a lot of I mean, outside of Twilight Zone, I guess. So, in a lot of sci-fi movies, either. So, it was just like it was really interesting, like experience watching that, just because there's so many elements going into it. And um, yeah, I I I also liked this movie a lot too. I was I was not expecting the trial or like the sort of debate between religion and science and faith and that kind of thing. It was very infuriating for me to watch because I was like, oh, this is like reality too much. <laughs> <laughs> little bit, little yeah. bit. But think about it, this, I mean, that, this movie came out 58 year, 50 years ago. Like, mm-hmm. that's wild that these, like, debates about, you know, where we come from and where are we going, like, happened, like, 50 years ago as well. And, like, basically all of time. Yeah. We always talk about, like, the difference between religion and science. Exactly. Yeah, it's very it, from, I was like... <laughs> there's like a part of me that was like, I wonder if this was like influenced at all by like the Scopes Monkey trial. Oh, what's because... that trial? Huh? I don't, I don't know actually about that trial. Oh, the Scopes oh, yeah. Monkey trial. It's like one of my like favorite. Like I love how I have like favorite trials. <laughs> the... Okay, Anya, Anya, you went to AU. 
shut up. I also like really love like constitution and like Supreme Court classes. I love Supreme Court cases, you guys. <laughs> um, when they go right. So the Scopes Monkey Trial was a legal case in 1925, and basically this high school teacher uh, had taught evolution in school. Oh, okay. But at the time in Tennessee, they had this act which made it unlawful to teach about evolution. And so it was basically just this, like, debate over whether or not, like, this act was unconstitutional or whether or not they could teach, like, basically, like, is the word of God over the word of, like, science and human knowledge, like, which one weighs Mm. more and can you teach both? And it was kind of, like, it was one of the biggest, like, trials of, like, this conversation and, like, kind of really started it throughout the American public so it reminded me a lot of that trial just in this movie. It might have not have no influence on this movie, but I thought of it. I'm sure Rod Sterling and the other like Rod Sterling and the other writers probably had like an idea of it because like that was like what 40 years out. Yeah. yeah. 60. So like, and like evolution has always been like a big debate in school. So I feel like that probably was like a thing mm-hmm. on the on their minds when they're when they're talking about like, well, how do we like structure this like story? Exactly. Another thing that really struck me as I was watching the Planet of the Apes movie was that I don't think there is a sci-fi franchise as nihilistic as this series. Oh, jeez. I mean, it basically pretends that humanity dooming itself to, like, to non-existence is, like, is not avoidable, unavoidable. Basically, like, humans are doomed to die or at least to be their own destruction. I'm... And I feel like yeah, in both in both series yep. there is that, especially like once you see the the original series side by side with the new series, it's very nihilistic in its depiction of humanity. And I'm like, that is really interesting to me, especially in like, its depiction of humanity, but not in its depiction of apes. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I mean, like it's interesting because this the ape society in this film is much more advanced than the ones we see in the new. Uh, Planet of the Apes movies, and they have kind of come to that point of corruption and degradation that we're seeing with, like, modern human society. So it seems like it's nihilistic for both societies. Like, you know, maybe they're both doomed to die. It feels more like a commentary on, like, the idea of, like, when you have, like, a group like this and, like, you gain all this power and you become, like, the superior species of, like, Mm -hmm. a planet or something, like, inevitably you're going to fall into corruption and a downfall like i will say i think both franchises like you were saying i think they they do offer like there are some humans who are good and there are some apes who are good and there are some who are bad like it offers that there's both but like inevitably power and conflict leads to like get leads to corruption and leads to a downfall yeah guys i just thought of i just thought of a very high concept idea Dinosaur politicians who are corrupt, as well as their mobster friends who are oh also God, dinosaurs. Because <laughs> you just kept, you kept saying about like the dominant species becoming corrupt, and my first thought was dinosaurs. like mobster dinosaurs <laughs> and mobster politicians right, well, and dinosaur the, politicians. I think you should little make ter- this movie. Little T Rex in a suit, and they're like rah rah. So did a, did a mobster was it the mobster dinosaur who really shot JFK? Yeah, and he wore a fedora. <laughs> I believe it. 
Anyways, uh, I, I thought that was a really fascinating part of this movie, especially Charlton Heston's character, Taylor, was kind of hinting at it throughout a lot of the film, too, where he was like, the reason I left Earth is because I was like tired of humanity, and I thought like there was nothing that left to keep me there. And then at the end, when he said, oh, you did it, you maniacs, you blew it up, which, by the way, like Charlton Heston is really great at selling those anguished, screaming lines. He really oh, is. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, I love it. Every time he he did one of those, like, the, it's a madhouse. That was my favorite line. <laughs> oh, it's a madhouse is my favorite line of the entire It's movie. so good. And I had no I idea. That, almost like, every day. <laughs> having not known, like, the specific plot of this movie, I remember I was watching it, and I, like, after Charles and Heston get shot in the neck, I, like, messaged Willoughby, and I was like, did our hero just get shot in the neck? And I was and I, like, what? And I responded, yeah, it's a plot point. And it was a plot point, and it, it was, was a good plot point, but I was just like, what is happening? Like, this movie is bonkers. Yep, it is. Yeah, the first time you see an ape on a horseback, it's like, oh my god, what the hell? I like that there are a lot of callbacks to the imagery and the sort of lines from this movie, too, in the new franchise. Like, oh, yeah. The horses on the monkey the apes on horseback and then the, the lines the it's a madhouse line i think is repeated in uh the new yeah, Ace uh, as well as like malfoy's the, yeah malfoy's tom felton's character also is the one who hoses down the the yeah there's the a apes. lot of um in in rise of the planet of the apes there's a lot of callbacks to the original one um in dawn and war they kind of like only do it by like little certain things like if you look if you um I can't spoil it because Anya hasn't seen it. Yeah. Um, uh, but, but there's also it, bright eyes and eyes, too. Point. But um, there's certain moments in war that, like, almost line up completely with the new movie, mm-hmm. um, uh, with the old movies. So, like, there's a lot of... I'm really interested to see where the fourth Planet of the Apes movie would go, um, which I know that I think they're in development of. Um, and I was, I'd be wondering if it would be, like, if they would do, like, a time jump or if they would do, like, like in between the two times. Um, I'm very curious. I like how, like, so far, because I haven't seen War, like, yeah. so far, I really like how they don't really cancel each other out. Like, I really like that with Rise, that, like, we have all those callbacks, but it's, like, the reverse, where it's, like, humans with apes in cages and how they hose them down and yeah. kind of, like, this, like, inhumane treatment of them and how, like, eventually as the apes become smarter and smarter and they gain more power, like we see in Dawn, like, eventually, like, it swaps and how we see in the original Planet of the Apes that apes have now gained the power and they're the ones keeping humans in cages. And so like, I like how they don't necessarily like this series could just go the route of the original movie. And I wouldn't totally hate it because right. I like the idea of like that swap of power, but how it like yeah, you're saying, how it corrupts both. That trilogy, the, tri- the Matt Reeves trilogy is very much like a tipping point in history for both societies and like where that goes is very interesting um so like what are you what were your guys thoughts on the main ape characters science apes science apes i was so excited about a science science ape ape couple yeah i love them actually i loved um what what was her name again the main the female ape who was like her Um, his taylor's uh, one ally I i think it was lyra Lyra. That probably that Lyra makes sense. and Cornelius? Cornelius, I remember, for some reason. I was like, Cornelius oh, is a great name. That's a great name. Yeah. Also the name of our, our the president of AU at our time. <laughs> oh, you're right. Oh, I didn't know um, you're right, Cornelius. <laughs> Cornelius. We're looking up her name, by the yeah. way. <laughs> quiet, quiet. Anyways, well, I, I like them a lot. I liked, um, yeah, the female, 
we'll, we'll oh, figure. Doctor Zira. Doctor Zira. I knew it started with the Z. I like Doctor Zira a lot because yeah, she was the one sort of sympathetic voice in this. At the but at the same time, she still did look down on humans as the inferior species, and it, she didn't even fully believe Taylor by the end of the film. She was just kind of like, yeah, I guess, you know, this is a strange happening, but she didn't want to leave her place in society and stuff, and she was still very stuck in that mindset of um, ape society being the superior one. Yeah, I love after we can get her at the end, and she's like, you're so ugly! <laughs> that, yeah. ape that, kiss, that ape kiss is hilarious. The human it's ape so kiss. funny. <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> Because it's, like, clearly a mask, and it's just, like, kissing, it's, kissing latex. It's, like, the most B-movie exploitation part of that film, except for the part when, I'm, like, the, what's her name, Nova gets hosed down, and I was like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, very much. But I just, I love that, like, I love the idea of, like, because that, again, is, like, comparable to our own society of, like, scientists and, like, people of so-called rational minds and their views on things. Um and so I was just really excited about science they talking about like missing link and the scrolls and going to trial over it and I was like, Yeah, science. Science is the real hero. Exactly. But yeah, that final shot in Planet of the Apes is so good. Even it's at, so good. Even knowing the 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 scene, the spoiler, and even seeing that shot on like on the internet. It's, it's like pretty damn iconic. It's damn iconic, and it just still has that impact, especially just Charlton it Heston just, like acting the hell out of it. It's really good old Charlton mm-hmm. Heston. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, it was great. Great choice, Willoughby. Of course. So, for mine, I will actually. I'm gonna. Don't be mad at me, but I'm gonna give my for my grade B plus. Just because it does feel like an extended Twilight Zone episode, and the trial Mm -hmm. scene lasts for a very long time. But I still really enjoyed it, and I liked the ideas that it was putting forward. I am going to give it another A-, I think. Nice. I'm going to give it an A. We all have such good taste, guys. We, we put do. up really we good do. recommendations. We do. I think people we people do who are listening right now should be taking notes. I think we should do this episode regularly. That would be really fun. Oh, it yeah, would be because, really fun because I have so many things I want you guys to watch. Yeah, well, I have so many things I want you guys to watch. I know, and there's only we'll so many do, like, marathons every... we can do together. So yeah. we should do this. All right, guys. So this might become a regular Millennial Falcon the episode. Yeah, stay tuned, guys. We'll figure out a name for it too. It'll be fun. We will. Yeah. So before we move on to the last segment of our episode, uh, here is another ad from our sponsors. Millennial Falcon is brought to you by sunglasses. Sunglasses, so you can stare at the sun. So now it's time for the last segment of our episode, I Really, 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 Really Like You. But I need to tell you something. Hey, Willoughby, why don't you start us off this week? What do you really like? Hey, do you guys remember that show Breaking Bad? It was kind of like, people liked it for like a while. Ah, mm-hmm. uh, it doesn't ring a bell. Yeah. yeah. So like, did you guys know they did a prequel? What? It wasn't Wait. about it wasn't about Walter White though. It was about Saul Goodman. Oh okay, so I really like Better Call Saul. <laughs> I watched the first season this week. I really like it. Um it has all the good, good Albuquerque cinematography from Breaking Bad that I know I love very well and also has I didn't I, I 
I wasn't really a big, particularly big Saul Goodman fan during the original Breaking Bad run. I was like, okay, he's like a slimy lawyer, and he's like doing his best to get his his cut in the in the all all the different meth dealings across Albuquerque. And I was like, okay, cool. And then when I ha- heard they were doing a, a, a prequel spinoff of how Better Call Saul became Better Call Saul, I was like, oh, that's that sounds fun. And every so often I tried to watch the pilot or watch a couple more episodes and like see if I can get into it because I, re- I really liked Breaking Bad a lot. And for some reason, like I couldn't get past like the first two episodes. And I don't know if it was just like I didn't really know what was happening and like where it was going to go because it was like very far removed from the events of Breaking Bad. Several, several, like six years before the, the events of Breaking Bad. So there's a lot of time between the two. So I was like, well, who's who's this guy? Who's Jimmy McGill, which is his real name? And I was like, okay. And like we introduce, we find like all these new characters that are surrounded, and basically like they they recenter him as the center of the universe in Breaking Bad. Um, and I was like, okay, I can kind of see what they're doing here. He's like trying to be a good guy, but he's got some slimy backstory. You know, he's he's been you know he's like a con man who went to jail, and now he's out, and now he's like trying to be a lawyer. It's like okay, I get, that. I see what they're trying to do here. You know, you see like the this is gonna be like a tragedy because it's gonna be turning into Saul Goodman. Um, and so, like, for several years now, I've tried to, like, get into it, and I hadn't, but this time, I just sat down and watched the the first season this week, and I really liked it. It, you know, it has all the great things you like about Breaking Bad, but, um, about Saul Goodman, um, and how he became Saul Goodman. Um, and the, uh, oh, what's his name? Uh, not, he was Buzz Hickey in, uh, Community, uh, his character's name is Mike Ehrmantraut. So he shows up really early on in breaking in uh, Better Call Saul season one, like first episode, and so like you can kind of see the the beginning of their partnership and relationship. Um, you find out that Saul Goodman has a brother, and he's, his brother is kind of is very interesting, played by Michael McKean, and uh, I don't know the actress's name, but he's got like kind of a love interest slash like. Um, like just friend uh her name is kim and she works for like a rival law firm and it's really good really interesting i really am very interested to see where they're going i've seen promo images for seasons two and three so like more familiar characters from the breaking bad universe show up and uh i don't believe we've there's walt and jesse in this one yet um because it's still pretty far out in terms of timelines. Um, so I'm excited to keep watching. But yeah, breaking, uh, not breaking, Better Call Saul Season 1. Yeah, I hear good things. Actually, a lot of people who I know who have watched Better Call Saul like it better than Breaking Bad. Just because it's a more sort of involved character study. And um, definitely more of it, a tragedy in a way. Yeah, because I feel like they you have, a, you have an end point mm-hmm. for a character already written. And so it's kind of like... He's the solo of the Star Wars of the Breaking Bad universe because it's like well you know where he's you know how he's gonna end up so it's interesting to see where he goes. Mm-hmm. Whereas with Walter White, we had ju- we just knew he was like a school teacher who got cancer and started you know make, like Breaking Bad, um, and so you really didn't know how it was gonna end up or where it was going. You know, like the more his character evolved, it was very interesting to see, but you didn't really know like what's the, what's the end game here. Whereas with better call Saul you know he becomes Saul Goodman you know he becomes the guy who you see ads for in Albuquerque for better call Saul mm-hmm. and that and then he's the lawyer for the criminals in that town so like it's very interesting to see where he how he how he ends up there 
All right, Anya, what is your really like this week? So my really like is another TV show, uh, but on a different network than Willoughby's. So mine is HBO's Succession. Really? I've seen I'm ads for that. Obsessed with this show. It doesn't look good. Uh, oh yes, my god! Every time it's I so watch good. trailers, I just am baffled by it because it's I was like, uh, not filmed this... really nicely. I was like, is this is this about Fox News? Is this about the Murdochs? Like, what's oh, you guys, here? you guys. Uh, see, everyone is saying this. Like, I keep talking to people about it, and they're like, "Oh, the trailers," and I'm like. <clears throat> the trailer sold me like I had no idea about it until I saw the trailers like while watching John Oliver and stuff on mm-hmm. HBO and I was like man I really want to watch this but apparently I'm the only one who thought that yeah um so let me tell you succession is so good is it's, it I'm ups- it's like the show that I can't wait to watch every week like every time Sunday night rolls around I'm like it's succession time I'm so ready is it yes so let me give you a little breakdown so Succession is, they won't say it, but yeah, it's sort of like loosely based on like the Murdoch family, more or less, where you have um, Brian Cox, who's playing the patriarch of this family, the Ray family. His name is Logan Ray, and he's like the head founder of this like multimedia company that has like news channels and theme parks. It's basically sort of like a Disney. Like evil Disney? Yeah, basically. And then he has, and he's getting older, and at the beginning of the season, he like suffers um, some medical problems, and so his children are like, alright, like, we're gonna take over the company. Oh, that's some King Lear shit. So it's, ve- okay, so it's like, the British dark satire version of King Lear. Is it British? You mean American? No, I say British because it has a very British humor to it. Oh. And one of the guys who works on it, one of the, like, the executive producers or something, is British. So you can definitely see that kind of British sensibility in it. But the characters are American? Yes, it takes place in America. But I like, it just, it feels, yeah, so it's an American series set in America about an American family. Um, It was created by Jesse Armstrong, who is a British comedy writer. He wrote the BBC political satire, The Thick of It, with Peter Capaldi, if any of you guys have heard of that. And it reminds me a lot of that. So it has a very British humor, but set in America. So it's like an Armando Iannucci uh, show, basically, but with like yeah. So like kind of well, like he did the... thick of it, huh? Yeah, yeah. He, he did thick of it. Yeah, yeah. That's what I'm saying. It's it's it gets created by the guy who also worked on the thick of it. So it's oh, very, okay. it feels very similar, and it's also a Will Ferrell Adam McKay production. Their executive producers on it, um, and it's just so funny. Everyone is a terrible person. It's absurd. The acting is so good. Jeremy Strong plays the uh, one of the older children. Uh, his name is Kendall. And he was in Masters of Sex, and he was in The Big Short, also Adam McKay. And he's just so wonderful. Matthew McFadden from the 2005 you know, Pride and Prejudice. I think I, I realize now why you, you watch this show, because Matthew McFadden is in this. <laughs> I mean, he's not the only reason. To be fair, I like jeremy strong's character way more okay. um but Matt mcfadden plays like this absurd character it's just okay you guys clearly gotten the wrong impression of the show we're not sold on it it's hilarious it's absolutely bonkers off the wall it's dark and funny and satirical and compelling and the acting is so good. The music is astounding. It's so gorgeous. 
I am obsessed with this TV show score. And every week, I just can't wait to see what this, like, crazy, messed up family does next. I'm, like, so excited to see the way they, like, fuck each other over and, like, what ridiculous decisions they will make. I don't... It's already been renewed for a second season. I'm so excited. I love this show. Please, please, if the trailers have not convinced you, let my rec be at least... At least give the pilot a shot. So I have a question. Their... Is it like character actors, the show? That's kind of that was the impression that I got from it. At at least at like kind of like character actors, of the show, and also kind of like a white version of Empire. That's like not as fun. <laughs> but that was like my first impression from the trailer. My impression was like, oh, they're just doing the Fox News story. Okay, I don't need to see that. Oh man. Yeah, the trailers are like I'm they must. Much- they didn't put a lot of effort into it because I was like, oh, they put their effort into like Game of Thrones trailers and so Westworld trailers. And they just, like I said, the, the trailers for Succession is what got me to watch it in the first place. That's so interesting. I think instead of comparing it to like Fox News Empire or the show Empire, I think a really good way to think about it is literally just a black comedy version of King Lear. Like that's the best way I can describe it. And what appeals to me out is that it's very British in its humor, and I like British humor. It's very dark. It's very absurd. Um, and the acting is fantastic. I wouldn't call it character actors. Um, the more and more you peel back the layers of the characters, the more compelling they become. Kieran Culkin's also in it, and he's hilarious. Oh, the other he's Culkin so, brother? Yeah, the better Culkin brother. Oh? Um, fight me. Um, hey, I got nothing against Macaulay, but Kieran's okay. Yeah, Kieran's he's in Scott Pilgrim. Yeah, he's better. Um, what kind of names are Macaulay and Kieran? Jesus, um, Kieran McCulkin. Stupid <laughs> <laughs> mouthful. Um, so anyway, take all these preconceived notions about Succession and throw them out the window. Take my recommendation and watch the pilot. All right, Anya, I do it's trust your so taste. Good, I believe you. <laughs> Why do we sound like children being scolded? Yeah. <laughs> I knew I was alone in my love for the show, but I didn't realize how much. I know you're literally the only person on my Twitter who ever talks about Succession. No, I actually like, not do even... know some people. Karen Hahn talks about it sometimes. Yes, Karen Hahn. She is, like, great. She writes all about Succession, and I'm like, yes, girl, because she totally gets it. I don't see anybody even, like, ragging on it. I just don't see anything about it, like, good or bad, which is kind of almost worse. It's so good. <laughs> Is it like a mini series, or is it just like? No, you said it's been it got season it's been two. For season two, yeah. Oh, okay, so there's like ten se- ten episodes. How many episodes have aired? Ten so episodes. Cool. And season one is still airing. We're only halfway through season one, and I'm cool, like cool. obsessed with it. Cool, cool, cool. So, I still gotta watch Barry, so it's on my time. It's on my list. Barry, uh, yeah. Barry is great. Barry, they they feel similar in their dark humor. Okay, okay. Then I might be more on board because I love Barry. Yes. Hmm. HBO is killing it with, like, the dark, satirical humor of, like, comedy shows right now. So, watch Succession. All right, yeah, I think just Because I was like, I'm, I'm like, there's a lot of Fox News shit in, my, in the world. And, like, I don't want to see another, like, family do bullshit. Like, the Trumps or the Murdochs. I was like, okay, okay, okay. All right, guys. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I really like... Wait, I have a question. Have I talked about Cardcaptor Sakura yet? 
Leia, last week. Okay. I, <laughs> I probably talked about it already then. I think, yeah. You talk, yeah, I think you talked about it because you were talking about it. Yeah, I think you yeah, talked about it. I definitely talked about it last week. All right, never mind. My really like this week, because <laughs> I finished it finally. Uh, my really like this week is um, Ant-Man and the Wasp, ah, a movie yay! I enjoyed surprisingly a lot. Because I kind of walked away from Ant-Man. You know, it was fine. I didn't really have a huge impression from it. I thought it was like a good standalone film that was ultimately forgetful. Or forgettable, sorry. You're not not giving Ant-Man the respect he deserves. Yeah, I know. And I was was actually looking forward to it because I think Paul Rudd is just like the most charming white man ever. (laughs) And I love him. He really is. And Ant-Man and the Wasp really does make use of that Paul Rudd charm. He's just Paul Rudd all over the place. But the most important thing is that it also gives the major spotlight to Evangeline Lilly, who is amazing in this film and is just so good. Um, actually, it was a really, there's a really interesting story that came out that she had almost retired from acting right after Lost, and she only came back after Peter Jackson called her uh, personally to be in The Hobbit. And so without that, then we might not have had Evangeline Lilly in the MCU, and we would we would not have been blessed with the wasps as we have her in all her glory. In so Ant-Man the Hobbit movies did one good thing. They did one good thing. They that, that's so interesting because I remember everyone's like, "What is she doing in this movie? She's an original character. This is weird." Mm-hmm. And I guess it it was worth it. It was worth it because now we have Evangeline Lily acting again and being the female superhero that Marvel deserves, even though she's being double billed. But it's okay because she's the real star. It's like. All of our complaints with Ant-Man were finally solved in this... Not all of our complaints, but many of them were solved with this film because it gives the spotlight to the character who deserves that, which is um, Hope Van Dyne, Evangeline Lilly's character. And it's it's a really fun personal story um, about the, the Pims and the Van Dynes trying to find Janet Van Dyne in the quantum realm. And um, just... That's really all the stakes there is. They're just trying to refine her mom again. And that's what really brings the core of this movie so together and what makes it such a great film because it's just like about parent-children relationships. And when you realize that, it's like, wow, so Ant-Man and the, and the Ant-Man series is actually the family-driven series in Marvel that brings it down back to ground level. And that's what makes it really special. It's just a good, good fun, nice film. And that it's makes a nice, me so happy. It is. It's a nice little balm after Infinity Ant-Man. War. So Y'all no, agreed. I, mm-hmm. The first Ant Man, I think, is actually really fun. I rewatched it this week, and I still really enjoy it. It's and also, so good. Did you guys know that in Edgar Wright's original script for Ant Man, Evangeline Lilly and like Hope had a much, much, much smaller role. Really, which goes back to our discussion of Edgar Wright and, mm. and the way he treats female characters. Yeah, um, which is interesting. So now I'm like. As much as, like, I wished I could have seen his version, I'm also, like, kind of glad Peyton Reed got it, because then we got more hope. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I'm like, Edgar Wright, what you doing? Yeah, and Peyton like, Reed definitely grows into his own in this film, too. He is more of an assured, sort of, directorial eye. I like that. And the action set pieces are much better in this film than they yeah. are in this because I like one. Ant-Man. I think mm-hmm. the first Ant-Man's fun. Yeah. Yeah. All right. All right, well, that is our episode. If you guys have any thoughts on anything new you guys are watching or things like over the garden wall or the host or planet of the apes definitely come chat with us or any of our really likes just as better call Saul succession or ant-man and the wasp just come chat with us about everything guys we're always here and where are we willoughby 
We're everywhere on the internet. Uh, you can find us on Facebook if you search for us there. We're also on Twitter at Falcon Podcast. Our blog is millennialfalconpodcast.wordpress.com. Got it right this time. Um, we're also on SoundCloud where you can listen to us and iTunes and Google Play where you can rate, review, and subscribe so you'd never miss an episode. And where can they find you guys? You can find me on Twitter at htranbui. You can find me at Anya Crittenden on Twitter. And you can find me at Willoughby Dobbs on Twitter. All right. Thanks for joining us, guys. Bye.